Listen in as Brian Alexander describes how a rubber band explains your personality. Are you an entrepreneur who's looking for motivation, strategy, and tactical guidance on taking your business to the next level? Do you like surrounding yourself with action takers who know what it takes to win? If so, you're in the right place. My name is Josh Thomas, and I'm your host. Join me as I speak with some of the greatest business minds on the planet. Welcome to the Do Zone. Success demands singleness of purpose. You need to be doing fewer things for more effect instead of doing more things with side effects. Gary Keller. DZ Tribe, Josh Thomas, glad to have you. Hey, be sure to follow and subscribe on Apple or Spotify. Wanted to let you know this podcast is brought to you by Unbreakable Teams. We help entrepreneurs build the systems they need to crush their goals the teams they need to execute those systems, and the accountability they need to make sure it all gets done. If you're ready to take your business to the next level and you know you can't do it alone, go to unbreakableteams.com now. Once again, that's unbreakableteams.com. Today's guest is Brian Alexander. Brian solves people problems using behavioral data, working with business owners to hire better and smarter. Brian, welcome to the Do Zone. Say what's up to the tribe and tell us something you believe is the key to getting stuff done that most people wouldn't think of. Ooh, okay. Well, hello, everyone. Um, I personally am a little biased, but I believe the key to getting stuff done that nobody thinks about is uh, self-awareness, understanding what you do well, your strengths, and then also understanding what you need to delegate. Self-awareness. So- there's you you said specifically hey you need to know what your strengths are and what you need to delegate and i think that's a part of self-awareness and i want to dive into that but self-awareness is a very strong term man tell me more about that it's a big term strong term there's many different components to it it's kind of this broad stroke of the brush um but it is you know essentially understanding what your motivating drives are understanding what those like specific needs with those drives are, and then understanding how to create your environment to bring out the best in you um, to get the most done. But then once you do that for yourself, you have to do it for other people as well. <laughs> yeah, you know, I uh, actually was talking about this very recently on another podcast episode where when you discover something, it is your responsibility to share that knowledge with your tribe in one way or another, the tribe, the world, whatever it is. Now, it's not your responsibility to give it away for free, but it is your responsibility if you know something, if you've discovered something, if you have figured something out, you've got to get that out there. Otherwise, why would you just hoard all of the information? Yeah, yeah. And, and then by teaching, you learn, uh, it sticks better, you know, you evolve faster. So yeah, I 100% agree with that. You know, I once heard, tell me what you think about this. Uh, I've heard those who can do those who can't teach. And, uh, <laughs> being a former teacher myself, I kind of like, I have to take offense to that. But yeah, you kind of you got a point. What are you? What are your thoughts on just because you said, "Hey, teaching something helps you learn"? I'm just I'm just curious. You know, are 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 teachers posers? 
or are teachers disseminators of information? You know, I think about that a lot. I, I think people are um, predisposed to teaching, sharing of knowledge and, and wisdom. And I think other people are uh, wired for the weeds and and operations and getting their hands dirty. Um, I, I think there's value in both. I do know based on all of my behavioral um you know, assessments and the, the science and the data. I know certain people are wired a little bit more for high level and other people are a little bit more wired for in the weeds and uh, and getting it done. So it's a, it's a good question. I, I, I see both sides of it, but yeah, there, there could be people who, you know, do not do something well and then decide, hey, I'm just going to teach the other people the concept and make money off of it. I think that's a bad version of, of what we're talking about. But I do think that certain people have a gift uh, of inspiring and teaching. So, and so, and so, I'm curious, uh, what inspired you? Take us all the way back to the the catalyst, the inception, if you will, of what inspired you to do a deep dive on behavioral analysis and all of these different assessments. I mean, like that's super geeky stuff, man. So, like, not everybody can really get into that. What what really drew your attention there? You know, um, it started with, I owned a, a CrossFit gym for nine years, and then I did uh, business coaching for other CrossFit gyms for about five years. And, you know, all not all um, CrossFit gym owners are good business people or didn't have the business acumen. A lot of them were like very passionate coaches. They wanted to help people. Um, they were more like, uh, if you've ever re read the book, um, uh, E-Myth. They were more mm -hmm. like the technicians, right? Mm -hmm. um, but they didn't really care about the business as much or they didn't really have the, the the knowledge to run a business. So in our business mentoring, we taught business owners, CrossFit gym owners, how to create systems and processes and you know all the SOPs and all of that because they were lacking big time. And I was bought into it for sure. Um, and I did it for my gym and we did well and we saw hundreds of other gyms do well, but there was like this missing link where uh, over, you know, hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of, of coaching calls, we would always kind of run into the same problems and I was running into them as well. And it was like, okay, we can have the best systems and processes and SOPs, but there was still a massive amount of failure in terms of like programs failing, people not doing what they said they were going to do and all of that. And uh, it just kind of got me thinking, I'm like, okay, well, this can't just be, we can't just blame everybody else, right? Like we can't say, okay, we did our part and then we're going to blame everybody else for failing. And I began to dig a little deeper, looking uh, a little bit more from a self-awareness standpoint and say, okay, well, where am I failing these people? Maybe I'm actually delegating or um, offloading stuff that I don't do well to other people who also don't do that well naturally and they're not wired for it and as i began to dig into it with my own team i'm like oh this really does make sense like if you need a point guard you can't give a power forward and throw them into the game and say you've got to play point guard and then get mad at them for not playing well against other point guards right mm. and uh, that was a kind of big realization for me it was like okay well not only do you have to understand what you do well and then what you you don't do well or what kind of drags you down, what to delegate. But now you have to understand who do I have to delegate to specifically that's going to thrive in this type of environment, right? 
this reminds me of uh, five years ago, uh, I was in a situation where I, I took on a consulting gig and it turned into uh, a, an expansion of my role um, far beyond what I was doing as a consultant. And uh, the guy had just read the book, Rocket Fuel. Oh, yeah. And uh, so for those of you that aren't familiar, Gino Wickman has a book called Rocket Fuel. Uh, he also has a book called Traction. Uh, really smart guy about business productivity and uh, you know, kind of keeping teams moving forward. So anyway, Rocket Fuel is about understanding if you are a visionary or an integrator. Mm -hmm. And uh, so he's reading this book and he realizes like, okay, I'm the visionary. Josh, I think, I think that you're my integrator. Yep. And I'm like, okay. And uh, so I went and I took the test. And um, the test revealed that I was not an integrator. But he's like, ah, whatever. We'll give it a shot anyway. Like, yeah. Okay. Uh, I don't think I'm your integrator, man. And uh, so we go and we start working together. And, and he is a very kind of like, you know, I need reporting and I need numbers and statistics, you know. And I'm like, ah, yeah. <laughs> I'm not that guy. And so yeah. it within like within like a week and a half, he was like, hey, man, this isn't really working for you, is it? I said, nope. <laughs> Thank you for saying that. And so we slid me into a role that I was good at. And, uh, you know, still working with the guy actually. Um, but, and he found his integrator eventually. And he found that guy that was just like super nerding out on the, you know, the spreadsheets and everything, but like, I am not that dude, but he tried to put me there because it made sense, except that I wasn't the right fit. And I hated those, that kind of work. Yeah. Yeah. And I think that's a big mistake that a lot of entrepreneurs make is, the minute they begin to build their team and delegate, they might, a lot of, a lot of entrepreneurs are, are, are visionaries, right? Uh, let's face it. Um, integrators are like, uh, you know, a very prized, um, I wouldn't say possession, but they, they are, are sought after highly by, by visionaries. And the problem is oftentimes I might see a Josh as a, a hardcore visionary and Josh looks like he's got his act together and is organized. And I'll be like, okay, well, he's more organized than I am. So I'm going to give him all the detailed work. Right. And, and you just nailed why that doesn't always work and why you should probably use some data to make that decision. And then, you know, rely on the data because that could have easily went South for both your uh, professional work uh, relationship, but also for your personal relationship. Where that I've seen that happen. It's happened to me many times by me putting the right person into the wrong seat. And at times when I wasn't self-aware many years ago, it would ruin our relationship. Um, so I'm glad that you were able to sort that out with him and, and recognized it early. Um, but it happens a lot. You're right. So would you say that there are shades of these personality types, if uh, just, just sticking with the visionary and integrator, because I, I'm sure that that's something that a lot of people are familiar with. Uh, it's, it's almost like the, the, the basic belief is you're one or the other. Uh, but I wouldn't necessarily call myself a visionary and I wouldn't necessarily call myself an integrator and I wouldn't, I wouldn't call myself both. Uh, and so would you say that there are kind of shades of these personalities and is that, and if that, and if so, could you maybe expand on that a little bit and help us understand what is, what are those different shades maybe look like if they exist? 
Yeah, and it's it's it could be defined or explained uniquely based on what assessment we're kind of looking at. Um, but yes, so I'll put it like this. Um, we can all do and be anything. That's without a doubt, without a question. We, we can all do anything we put our minds to. Um, I use the analogy of like a, a rubber band in its natural state. The way we're naturally hardwired is like that rubber band in its loose natural state, right? It could stay there forever. Um, now we can do and be anything, so we can stretch in any way, shape, or form or direction. But the question is, for how long, and then how well before we snap back to our natural state? So that natural state is our natural wiring. I think there are some people who are wired very extremely to the visionary side and the others are wired very extremely to the integrator side. And then there's some people in the middle of that kind of continuum that could stretch in either direction. Um, but I think they're predisposed to one or the other naturally. And then in the data would show that, but they can stretch for a little bit. The question is, you know, how long can they keep it up and how good of a job can they continue to do over the, the span of time uh, to make it worth their time and then whoever they're working with worth their time as well. Um, and oftentimes what we find is with the, the data, it's just this very uh, objective viewpoint of how you're naturally wired. And when you have that, then you can say, okay, well, I can do this stuff, but it's going to be at a cost to either my um, personal health, my mental health, my well-being, how I feel about myself on a day-to-day -day basis, um, or I can figure out how to set up my environment to get what we need done and fill my my kind of gaps strategically. Well, I love the analogy of the rubber band that that explains a lot. Uh, it it helps it helps understand that let's let's say uh, I'll just I'll just make a supposition here that the the loose the loose rubber band is the visionary because you know the things are fluid and they can flow. Uh, the tight rubber band is the integrator because things have got to be in order. And they got to be super tight. I don't know. We could make maybe make an argument the other way, but and so yeah. there there are the limit. the The loose limit is like obviously just like it's just flaccid, right? And then the the tight limit is just as far as you can before it breaks. And so there are the way you explained it. There are people in different parts of that continuum. Mm -hmm of you know super loose rubber band super tight tight rubber band i don't know why it's so hard for me to say today <laughs> you know <clears throat> we don't edit here at the do zone <laughs> so <laughs> so uh, i'm i'm curious you said that there are people that are kind of hardwired that way have you in your research discovered any any reasons for that or any markers for that like was i born to be this kind of in the middle chameleon kind of person and were people born to be visionaries or was it bred into them like what what kind of indicators have you seen that that have helped with that wiring yeah so the the one assessment that i use um is the predictive index and it's one of like the maybe eight assessments on the market that are scientifically validated for pre-hire and selection so there's like 800 assessments on the market. They're all good. They all have their gold nuggets and their uses. But if they change test over test or over time, it's like a moving target on um, understanding who that person is, whether it's yourself or somebody else. 
So that person can be somebody today and then a year from now, they could test completely differently. So we don't use those for hiring because we want to make sure that whatever data we're using is stable over time. And this test has been around for 65 years, has like 600 validity studies. And um, they measure very four very simple things. It's motivating drives and then the needs and behaviors that are associated with those drives. And the drives are, um, it's, it's a continuum. There's a high A and a low A, high B, low B, high C, low C, high D, low D. And those motivating drives stand for specific things. The A drive is how we value, uh, value and generate ideas. The B drive is how we best communicate. The C drive is are the type of work environment that unleashes our full potential. And then the D drive is how, how many data points do we need to make the, the decision. Um, so when you look at classic visionaries from a sense of entrepreneurial visionaries that um, are very high level, they don't really do well in the weeds and the details too much, but because they don't do well in the weeds, it kind of gives us them this unique vantage point to be able to create um, or see, you know, 10 miles down the road when other people can't see a mile down the road. Um, and they're able to kind of just innovate, right? They're a little more innovative. And the, those, those drives, we can tell from the A um, and then the C and the, the D, we're going to be able to identify like, okay, who's probably a classic visionary? And then the opposite is us usually the classic uh, integrator on the drives. And you'll see them cross the points. And you can start there. Now, there's all different shades of visionaries and integrators like we were kind of touching on and you touched on. Um but there are, you know, as you get out to these edges of, of my assessment with the, the Sigma measurements, there's the extreme on the ends. And then you get a little bit more narrow or less strongly expressed as you reach this little middle point or it's the median or a standard deviation from the norm. Um, so you could have, you know, what we call um, very quiet visionaries. And then you can have very quiet integrators or you can have the extremes as well. It's fascinating, man. And, you know, you, you mentioned something that that struck my attention about a visionary because they're not in the weeds, they can see 10 miles down the road instead of one mile. And it almost has to do with, well, where are you looking? You know, uh, it, it's if if I if I want to travel 10 miles down the road, if I'm in my car, I'm not looking at what's happening right in front of the car. I'm looking at what's happening at least a mile away because that gives me some perspective of what's coming. Right. Whereas if I'm trying to make sure that I don't step on a landmine, I'm looking at every inch that's below me, you know, and I'm very, very meticulous about that. So it almost has to do with, you know, how far ahead are you looking and that may even determine somewhat of your personality, which uh, is that the is that the D um, spectrum where it's like, how much how much detail do I need to make a decision is uh, correct? Yeah, yep. how many data points, how much detail, uh, even even the D drive measures um, how likely we are to follow rules and enforce rules. Right. Um, and that all plays into how you interact in the world and in your role. Um, so yeah, that you're right. That D drive dictates that, um, now the, the people with a high attention to detail and our, our extreme rule followers and extreme enforcers of the rules also love to hold people accountable to those. Um, not to say they cannot 
be a visionary, um, but it's a lot harder for them not to naturally go to the details and go to the weeds and not miss a thing. But by doing that, sometimes you miss, you know, the, the big picture, right? Well, it's, I was going to ask you about the the thing about rules. You said that how likely are we to follow rules and how likely are we to enforce rules? Have you found, is there typically a correlation if somebody is a rule follower, they're a rule enforcer, or can they can they diverge? It can be situational, but generally speaking, again, as the as the as your little data point gets further from the center in either direction, that drive is much more strongly expressed. Mm-hmm. Um, so, generally speaking, you'll see visionaries have a, a very low D, and it's because they take the conventional, the norm, and they say, "No, it's." That's dumb. I'm not following that. I can I can do it a, a better way, right? And they innovate. Yeah. Um, not to say a, a high D can't innovate, but a low D is going to always naturally innovate and take shortcuts and find better ways to do things, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, and because as you were saying that, I'm I'm trying to figure out like, okay, does a rule follower enforce rules? And uh, I got to say, I'm not a big fan of rules uh, if if they apply to me. Uh, but I'm really great at like making rules for somebody else to follow. And you should totally follow these rules. You really should, but I'm probably not going to check in on it. (laughs) And and yeah, so uh, checking in on it is a big part of that D drive as well. Yeah. Um, So not, yeah. So it would be interesting to see your, yours and just see where you fall. And yeah, you know, if just, just by hearing that, I would say that you're, you're, you're probably, tailing a little bit to the lower D and it's neither good nor bad. It's literally how you're wired, right. And and how you naturally operate. Uh, So people are like, I don't want to be a low. I want to be a high. (laughs) It doesn't matter. It it might be better that you're a low depending on what you're doing. Right. I know. I wish I was at least three inches taller, but that ain't going to happen either. (laughs) (laughs) That's awesome. Well, man, I, I, I love this conversation. I'd, I'd love to kind of tap into your brain here and see how it see how it functions. You want to do some do zone diagnostic? Yeah, let's, let's do it. We'll make it happen. So five quick questions. I ask every guest, uh, just rapid fire. First thing that comes to mind, number one, what's one thing you do, Brian, that keeps you focused on your goals? I'll write them down. Love it. And how do you get back on track whenever you lose that focus? Uh, literally go back to my, my whiteboard or my, my small journal of uh, things to do, whether it's daily tasks or big projects I'm working on. I, I, I'm a visual person, so I need to see it face, you know, right in front of my face, slap me in front of the face every day. <laughs> Love it. And uh, who's your support group and how do they keep you accountable? So uh, I'm in Apex. I'm in the the entrepreneur group. That's one of them. Um, and then I'm in a, a small, like little nutrition coaching group as well. I, uh, I, I see value in, in having coaches and I always have. So nice. And, uh, how do you approach a difficult project that you're not sure how to complete? Um, I try to dissect it into, you know, small chunks and parts and figure out who needs to be doing what. And usually I use my behavioral knowledge to be able to put it into the right hands to get it done. If I know it's definitely not me or oftentimes I'm the one holding the project up. Nice. And uh, last question, what's the number one pro tip you would give to somebody looking to get more stuff done in less time? 
you know, uh, I think writing everything down, having it right in front of your face again, and then um, just trying to set time blocks for yourself. Uh, maybe not being too crazy or hard on yourself if you don't meet them. Uh, I've tried it all. I've done it all. Behaviorally, I find having uh, a, a to-do for the day, an absolute must to-do for the day, um, list done, but I don't I don't do well breaking it down like I have to do this task between one and three. Um, behaviorally, naturally, I just kind of revolt against that much uh, rule following, I'll call it. <laughs> You're not a rule follower either, I see. I'm, so my D is off the charts low. I'm a, I okay. am the extreme, you know, uh, example of the lowest D you can get. It's off the chart low. Yeah, <laughs> that's great, man. And so, uh, and so you wrote a book. Tell me about that. Yeah. So it's uh, publishing this month. It's called How to Succeed in Spite of Yourself, and it's uh, a a leader's guide to self awareness. Um, and it's told through kind of like a fable story format. Uh, I'm really excited about it. I actually began writing it in 2019. I finished most of it and I tabled it. Uh, 2020 happened and all that fun stuff. I picked it back up and it's 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 really good. It's really relevant. And it's all about kind of teaching people uh, how to look in the mirror, how to understand what you do well objectively. And then, you know, really how to understand what other people do well so you can build these winning teams from like a behavioral perspective and make sure if you're building this machine that it's firing on all cylinders and that you don't have to go in and, you know, maintenance the machine too often, because if you have to do that, then it just, uh, it's counterproductive, right? Nice. That's awesome. And uh, so, so when, when will this book be available and and where can people find it? So it's going to be available uh, February 28th. And um, I'm going to be able to post it in, in our Apex group if you have any Apex friends, otherwise on my Facebook page, uh, and then howtosucceed.co. Howtosucceed.co. That's where we can learn more about the book. So yep. by the time this episode's published, I'm sure the book will be out by then. So uh, yeah. Howtosucceed.co. Yeah. Yep. Excellent. That's cool. And uh, so if somebody wanted to engage with you who is your ideal person that that you would want to reach out to you about these behavioral uh analyses and the types of things that you do who who is that ultimately for you know generally speaking um i work with ceos of larger companies usually anywhere from 20 employees to 500 um, but I don't mind helping out. I don't mind having you take this assessment. It doesn't cost you anything. I can send you an amazing five-page report uh, that breaks down, you know, how you're wired, all your motivating drive, what it means. Um, so I'd like to do that just to kind of uh, help people out because it helped me so much. Um, but then, you know, people I work with from a business perspective, contracting with them and clients, it's usually 20 employee to 500 employee companies is kind of my, my sweet spot and really kind of uh, driving it with, with the CEOs and leaders of organizations. What have you found in, uh, in working with those, those companies right there in your ideal market? Are there any, are there any kind of trends that, that a lot of them have in common that, you know, first, first thing I come in to work on is X. Is there, is there something that really stands out to you in that way? Yeah. Usually people, um, reach out or contract with me. It, it, the number one problem we solve is turnover. 
Um, so having a position turnover too frequently, um, that creates a lot of friction, a lot of, um, you know, diversion of, of resources, a lot of time in re-interviewing, retraining, re-onboarding. So it's pretty costly. So if you, they can reduce their turnover by putting the right person into the right seat right out, right out of the gates, that's uh, usually why they reach out to me. And then there's a bunch of other things I can do from a leadership development standpoint with their management teams and leadership teams. But that's kind of the, usually the entry point is like, hey, solve a problem for me. Right. I've got a broken leg. Can yeah. you put a cast on it? Right, right, right. <laughs> awesome. And so uh, if somebody wants to connect with you about that, where do they go? Yeah, they can go to my my website, uh, expressingthegeniuswithin.com. Okay. Long website, you're all, but expressingthegeniuswithin.com. You can even take the, the predictive index assessment from there. I'll get a little notification. I'll send you that five-page report. And uh, usually I'll, I'll put a link out there to connect for 10 or 20 minutes to go over the results. Awesome. Well, that's that's great. I appreciate you sharing that with me. Uh, one final thought. What is a water fast and why have you done 45 of them? So a water fast is um, when you don't eat anything, all you do, you know, typically just water, right? Um, I drink black coffee during them as well. Oh, that makes a lot and, more sense. I was thinking you were fasting from water. I'm like, that seems like a bad idea. <laughs> no, yeah, that's that's called a dry fast, actually. Yeah, okay. That's uh, a cool thing. You, you can do a 21-day water fast but you can only do a three-day dry fast. So okay, don't get that mixed up. But health benefits, uh, cellular regeneration, uh, there's something called autophagy of of weak cells. It kind of uh, seeks out weak cells and, and kind of ex expunges them from your system. So a lot of health benefits from there. And then, of course, you know, you're at a calorie deficit, so um, you lose fat pretty quickly as well. 100% calorie deficit. Yeah. And, and other fun fact is under eating is, is terrible for you. Overeating is, or I'm sorry, overeating and under eating are terrible for you. Fasting, uh, when done in a controlled manner, it has completely different effects on your system and on your metabolism. Uh, fasting is positive. Under eating is very negative for you. So interesting. And so never works. I know this isn't a health podcast or anything, but just just out of sheer morbid curiosity, you've done a 21-day water fast? No, so I've done uh, three days, five, seven, and, and 10 days. Never okay. 21, but people have done 21. I haven't done it. And so, and so when you don't eat anything for 10 days and you only drink water, is there a point, like, if I go for a day without eating, I notice. You know, most people do. There's like, there's these hormonal responses and your body is like, Hey, you know, survival mode, food, whatever. But eventually that stuff kind of subsides, right? Like, is there a moment where you just stop thinking about trying to find the next meal? Like a technique, just, just, just really quickly. I'm just curious. Yeah. Yeah. So the first day is the hardest. Um, so usually if I start a fast on a Sunday night after I'll have a meal fast and then I'll, I'll get to Monday night. So that's 24 hours. Then I'll just go to sleep and wake up in the morning at 36 hours. And the difference between 24 and 36 waking up, um, you're kind of through the hard part of the fast. You, you have to stay hydrated, drink a lot of water, um, but you're not hungry. Um, and your body begins flipping to using fat for fuel source instead of like what you've stored up in glycogen and your muscles and everything from the food that you've eaten. 
And then once you're kind of in that, it's, it is ketosis, right? Cause you're not eating anything. Once you're in ketosis, uh, mental clarity is great. I would say you feel amazing. Um, but physical vitality, like you're not going to crush a workout. Um, <laughs> yeah, right. You're definitely not going to want to do like uh, 75 hard and do long water fast because you're going to have to work out twice a day. And, you, you know, you don't have that physical vitality. Mental clarity is through the roof. You feel great. You feel very calm. Um, so, you know, you just have to, I guess, figure out what your goals are and see if it aligns with what you want to do. But it's 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 a, a, a great, you know, option or, or tool to have in your toolkit. That's awesome. You're a fascinating guy, man. Maybe you inspired me to stop eating for a few days. <laughs> <laughs> Excellent. Brian Alexander, everybody, really appreciate you being on here. We're going to wrap up. Thanks again uh, for coming to join us and share some wisdom about how you get some stuff done. For those of you who want to connect with him directly, you can go to expressingthegeniuswithin.com. And if you want to get a copy of his book, you can go to howtosucceed.co. Uh, well, once again, if you want to keep hearing great content like this, be sure to follow and subscribe on Apple or Spotify. And remember, if you run a business that is stalling out and you're looking for a boost for less than it costs to take your staff out to lunch, we got your back. Visit unbreakableteams.com to learn more. Until next time, remember, we all have the same 24 hours in a day. What are you going to do with yours? Thanks for listening. Be sure to subscribe on Apple or Spotify. Share this episode with a friend, screenshot it and add it to your Instagram stories, smoke signals, carrier pigeons, whatever works best for you. If you're looking to crush your goals this year and level up your team, we're here to help. To learn more about how our scientifically backed process can increase your company's productivity by up to 300%, head over to unbreakableteams.com. That's unbreakableteams.com. <laughs>